Welcome to Disaffected on Audio. I am Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. Although I'm not quite sure what this version of the show is going to be like. We're doing more audio-only content. This is one of the first ones. Not the first, but one of the first. And I'm kind of going to wing it. Uh, I do a lot of prep for the television show that comes out on Sundays. You know, there's a script, there are graphics, there are directions, there are notes, <clears throat> and I like to be prepared for things. But Kevin and I were talking about this, and he said, just sit down and wing it with the audio, see where it goes. So um, I hope you enjoy. <laughs> so what are we going to talk about today? Eric Adams, New York City mayor. People had high hopes for him. But I think those hopes are going to be dashed because I remember him saying, oh, a few weeks, maybe it was a month ago, that if people thought he was going to come in and lift the mask mandates and lift the vaccine mandates, that people had another think coming. Um, Disappointing. He also seems to have some interesting ideas about food and what he thinks New Yorkers should eat. So I saw this little clip. I don't have the audio for you. We will enrich the podcast later after I get the basics down. (laughs) I saw this clip of him in a news conference, and he said a reporter was asking him about his diet. I have no idea why. And he kept saying the same strange phrase over and over again. I eat a plant-based centered life. Naturally, the reporter asked him what he meant by this. And he just repeated it. I eat a plant-based centered life. Huh? You eat a life? What does that mean? He said it a third time. And then he said something about wanting New Yorkers to eat more of a plant-based centered life. Is this one of those things like that bloody filler word that I hate so much, access? Is he just putting centered in there as a filler word? I think he is. I eat a plant-based centered life. No, my dear. You may eat a plant-based diet, but you don't actually eat a life. And when you've already described it as plant-based, centered is not necessary. You know what I think that is, actually? It's, It's one of those words. It's one of those words that everybody thinks they have to say because everyone is saying it. We're going to center women's concerns or we're going to center trans concerns or they use it in a snide and snotty way when they don't like what you're saying and they'll say something like, stop centering yourself. You just don't want to center my concerns. Everybody's centering things and accessing things. Mm. Speaking of words, so so centered and accessed are words that everybody says all the time. And then there are words that we think about a lot and we talk around a lot, but we never, ever say. There's a word in the English language that... One rarely 
hears anymore outside of certain contexts. And yes, I will get to those contexts. You don't hear it. You're not allowed to speak it. You're not allowed to refer to it. And as a matter of fact, this is extremely frustrating to me as I sit here in front of this microphone. I'm not going to say the word. Not because I'm afraid to say the word, but because I know what will happen to this podcast if I say that word. And that makes me very angry. You know exactly what the word is. It's the N word. God, I can't believe I have to get that phrase out of my mouth. It drives me absolutely insane. When was the last time you heard anyone say the N word out loud outside of a rap song? Because you hear it a lot there, don't you? You hear it in rap and hip hop all the time. Somehow, this word is supposed to be Well, it's all powerful. It is magical. People quake in fear at the implication of that word. We're not even afraid of the word. We're afraid of the idea of the word. And I find it fascinating that the less it's spoken, the more powerful it is, the more afraid we are of it. I watch people talk about this stuff on social media. And they say things like, Well, what's going on right now, of course, is that everybody wants to cancel Joe Rogan. Not for the reasons that they claim. Joe Rogan, for those of you who don't know, Joe Rogan is a comedian uh, who has a very successful podcast with millions and millions of subscribers and listeners. It's called The Joe Rogan Experience. And the mainstream really hates him because he will talk to anyone. He is not restricting his guest list to people who fit into the left or the mainstream or the woke left. He has people all across the political spectrum. Now, the left doesn't actually believe in balance. They say they do, but they don't. They want no conservative voices. The very presence of a conservative voice is a sin to the left. And like I've said on the television show, I used to say a sin to the woke left, but it's not the woke left anymore. It is the mainstream. The mainstream left is now the woke left and has been for some time. This is now mainstream. It's normal. Not the fringe, not just a small, loud, vocal minority. Mainstream. They don't want any conservative voices. And they are now, um, they're angry with Joe Rogan for having on Dr. Peter McCullough, having on Dr. Robert Malone, both of whom have serious reservations about the vaccines for covid Um, about their potential side effects, about the mandates. And this is absolutely verboten in mainstream media. So they want to destroy Joe Rogan's show. How are they going about doing that? Well, they're combing through his back catalog, both his show and his comedy appearances and anywhere else he did some media over the past 15 or 20 years, looking for sins, verbal sins. So now they've caught him saying the the N-word, Oh, God, you guys can see my face. I'm so frustrated having to say that stupid, bloody phrase. So there's a compilation of clips going around. Look, 
this guest said the N-word, and then he said the N-word about this, and then he said the N-word about this, and then he said the N-word about this. They're going to try to pin him because he used the bad magic word. They don't actually care that he used that word. They care that they can use the idea of that word and the idea of the enormous sin that speaking that word is in order to take Joe Rogan down. And when people notice this, when they comment on it the way I'm commenting on it right now, what you get on social media, and it's almost always white people, and yes, it's almost always liberal white people, and I'd say 75% of the time, it's liberal white women because they're running our culture right now. They say, why are you so interested in that word? Why do you want to say the word so bad? You just want to say the word. Why do you want to say the word? Shut up. It's so disingenuous. There are very few people out there with a burning desire to say the N-word for the sake of saying the N-word. Although, I must tell you that the more it has become off-limits, the more tempted I am to tweak people's noses by saying it. Mm-hmm. I'm not normally inclined to use that word. But when you tell me that I can't, and when you tell me that I can't because it will hurt somebody and try to make me responsible for other people's feelings, no context, no, um, it's a better way to describe this. Um, when you say that regardless of the context, regardless of whether you're referring to a written work that uses that word, whether you're referring to a song that uses that word, whether you're talking about, you know, a Supreme Court case that had that word as a part of the decision, if you ignore that context and tell me that simply uttering that two-syllable word, just the vocalization of that word itself is causing harm to people, I mean, it's just, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. And it's a reflection of this fever dream idea that so many white liberal people have, that the world is made up of people like them and bad people, people who are not like them. Everything is black and white. Everything is split. They do it borderline personality disorder style. You're all good or you're all bad. If you're liberal and you're on the left, you're all good. All good. But if you disagree one jot or tittle, you are all bad. So they have this idea that everybody who's not in their political tribe is an unreconstructed racist, an old school racist, probably somebody who's got a clan hood sitting in the back of his closet. This imaginary person wants to use the N-word, craves it, gets up every morning and says, I cannot wait until I can anger and insult some black people by using the N-word in front of them. I can't wait to do it. There are a few people like that because there's always a few shitty humans hanging around the margins. Do you like that, how I got margins in there? <laughs> but there aren't that many of them. There aren't that many Klansmen either, are there? There aren't that many actual card-carrying 
white supremacists are there? No, there aren't. This boogeyman doesn't exist. This is not the typical conservative. This is not what motivates people who don't agree with the left. We don't want to use the word for the sake of using the word. We do like to tweak your noses, but that's not what this is about. This is an imaginary idea about people that has nothing to do with reality. And I know this. Well, first of all, because I can see what people say. I can see and hear what people can say. But I used to be like this myself. I used to believe this of people. That those who didn't vote left, who didn't vote for the Democratic Party, were not simply mistaken people. They weren't misguided people. They were immoral people, fundamentally immoral. You know, I talked on the show this past weekend about the TV show, about the the monitoring of people's emotions and how it how familiar it is to me, having grown up in an abusive household with a mother who monitored not only what I said, but the expressions on my face because she wanted to dig underneath my behavior and my speech, and she wanted to monitor my actual feelings. My feelings were up for her judgment. And and I recognize the same thing going on with the way the left talks to anybody who doesn't agree with them. Your feelings, your emotions, your sentiments, your inclinations, even what occurs to you first in your mind, they want to dissect this. They want to put it on the table for judgment. I wanted to do that too. Because I thought of people who disagreed with me, not just as misguided, but as immoral. And, you know, I, I wonder sometimes, like I'm trying to put myself in your shoes, listener. Like, what must this sound like to those of you listening who've never been on the left, don't have a background like mine? It's curious. I wonder what you think of that. Because I know some of you have told me that, that that mindset is so alien to you, that you were never taught to think of people who disagreed with you politically as being somehow morally contaminated. I believe you. <laughs> and thank goodness you were taught more normally than I was. Um, but if that sounds strange to you, all I can say is that is part of the leftist mindset. Maybe it wasn't always, but it is now. We're going to take a quick break and come back in a minute. Welcome back. I'm going to switch gears here. I want to talk about appliances, electronics, washing machines, cars. These miraculous electrical and powered devices that changed the way we lived, mainly in the 20th century. Started out in the late 19th century with electrification. But our entire lives changed. The way we did housework changed. The way we got from place to place changed. We could do so many more things. There were so many labor-saving devices that came into our lives. And 
we live in a world of, of just absolute convenience as a result of that. But over time, it seems to me that the design philosophy has changed. Labor-saving devices were, are, originally invented to save labor. They are made to serve the needs and the convenience of humans. That's why we make these things for us. But lately, it seems like these products are designed for their own convenience and that humans are expected to adapt to service them. Let me give you some examples. I'll start with a small one. Uh, uh, and yes, this is cranky old man Josh. So if you don't like that and you just want to say that, like, it's just because you're old and like young people are really used to it, then I don't know, shut the show off and listen to the next one. The microwave. So you put something in the microwave to heat up or to defrost. And when it's done, it goes beep. Beep, beep. We all know that sound. <clears throat> but it never stops. So <laughs> let's say I've put four chicken thighs in the microwave and they're frozen and I want to defrost them. Goes on for like 20 minutes. I go into the other room or I go upstairs to the bedroom where I've got a book on the bed. I'm reading. Beep, beep, beep. I don't really feel like going downstairs at the moment. But then three minutes later, beep, beep, beep. Okay. What is that about? Is the microwave not made for the convenience of the person, the human, who owns the microwave? I think it's supposed to be. So why does that alarm keep going off? Why am I obligated to go down there and open and close the door? What's going to happen to my food? Is it going to disappear? I mean, I know this is a real small one, but there's not very much thought, it seems to me, going into what they call user interfaces these days, because everything has to be electronic, everything has to be digital. We don't give very much thought to it. Designers don't give very much thought to it because a lot of these devices are much less convenient than they could be and less convenient than their analog and mechanical counterparts used to be. I'll give you a better example. I bought this house that I'm in right now, my house, in 2009. And when I, and of course, when you buy a house, it almost always comes with the appliances. And when I bought the house, the prior homeowners had clearly purchased top-of-the-line appliances. They wanted the best of everything within their price range. These were Kenmore appliances, which used to be a quality appliance. You know, it wasn't like they were buying Bosch or any of those $4,000 stovetops. But top of the line to people seems to mean electronified to within an inch of its life, 15 different functions on something that's basically just supposed to be a cold box. And I went downstairs to do laundry. So there's, a, okay, so the appliances are this enormous side-by-side -side refrigerator. It's got to be almost seven feet tall. 
And I haven't gotten rid of it because I refuse to get rid of appliances while they still work, but I hate this beast. It is the biggest refrigerator I've ever seen in my damn life, and there's not that much room inside of it. And I go downstairs to do my laundry when I move into this house. Neither the washer nor the dryer will work. Why won't they work? They're almost brand new. Well, it's because they're electronified and they have what is called a control board. Not just chips anymore, an entire computerized panel that sits on top of these things and displays stuff in lit LEDs. 26 different functions, none of which any normal person is ever going to use. And the chip boards, the control boards, were fried on both the washing machine and the dryer, which means... Because everything that that machine does is controlled by electronics and electronic inputs, that the perfectly good mechanical parts of what is a washing machine, not a computer, a washing machine, none of that will work. So I call Sears to find out how much it's going to cost, and each of these bloody control boards costs $250 just for the part, not for the installation and wiring. So I've got two almost brand new fancy appliances that will do everything but press and fold my clothes for me, and they will not turn or rotate. They won't take in water, they won't wash clothes, because the goddamn control board is busted. So here's what I did, and here's what you might consider doing. I sent those bastards to the landfill and I called my local independent appliance guy who comes, he basically works out of a van. Fantastic guy, Gary. And he sells old refurbished appliances. So I bought a set, late 70s, early 80s, washer and dryer, completely mechanical, dials, physical knobs, not Soft surfaces that accept finger input and don't give you any feedback, but actual dials and knobs and buttons to turn them on and off. Okay, what is it? It's 2022. So I moved in here in 2009. And those, let's see, 40-year-old 40, 40 appliances that were refurbished have worked like a dream for, what is it, 13 years now? You can do this with other appliances, too. And I know that some of you may not want to get into this. You don't want to fuss with things. You like things that are new. I get it. I understand. But I picked up a 1961 Waring brand blender from the flea market probably six or seven years ago. One of these beautiful, it is, it's a, well, I looked it up. It's a 1961 model, but it looks art deco. I mean, this thing is made of metal. It's Heavy. It's got to weigh six or seven pounds, the base by itself. All metal, chrome on the outside, um, heavy-duty control knob that's not going to break off, heavy-duty glass uh, decanter for blending. Works like a dream. I had to replace the, uh, the power cord. And I could learn to do a bit more with repairing electrical devices. I mean, I, I could learn that skill. I'm not particularly interested in it, but if this thing breaks, maybe I will. But I can I can rewire 
a power cord on a lamp or something like that. It's really very easy. All you need is a screwdriver and, and the right type of cord, blah, 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 blah. I bought that thing for $10. That came from a time when appliances were lifetime purchases or close to lifetime purchases. They were manufactured to last decades. This 1961 blender is 13 years older than I am and still works like a charm. And it doesn't have any fancy settings on it. It does not have 16 buttons that you have to press in combination to get a certain thing. You know why? Because it doesn't need them. Do you know what a blender does? It has a little ring on an electric motor that has some knives on it and they spin around. That's all it does. Do you know what the settings on this are? Low and high. That's, that's this is literally all you need. So not only are things made, and I understand it's not, I'm not, um, this isn't a mystery to me. I understand why things are made this way today. It's profit. It's planned obsolescence. It's not a mystery. I'm not asking you why do they do this. I know why they do this. I don't like that they do it, but I understand the economic incentive. But it's it's gone beyond planned obsolescence into hard to use. So, for example, I went into the studio this past weekend to record the TV show. And I had to move some computer mice around and do some stuff like that. And one of the computers, one of the PCs that we use for the show, um, had turned off, re uh, not rebooted itself. It had it done something like an update and it shut down. That thing usually stays on 24 hours a day. I can't remember the last time I had to actually turn it on. So I go to turn it on and I realize I can't figure out how to turn it on. It's a black, it's a small tower, right? It's all like everything. Have you noticed that everything is black today? I lose headphones, mice, um, my e-cigarette, uh, just about anything, uh, my my uh, Bluetooth headphones, constantly losing that stuff inside my bag because it has a black lining and everything is black. And if something uh, gets shoved under the, the edge of the couch or something, good luck. You better get a high-powered flashlight. Everything is black. Everything looks like it is the most sterile, science fiction-y. It, it's just weird. Nothing has anything human and intuitive about it. So I'm I'm trying to figure out how to turn this bloody PC on. And I look at the front and there are two, well, I'd call them buttons, but they're there's only they're like raised by a millimeter. It, it it drives me nuts. I'm looking at this thing and I know exactly what the designer was thinking. They were thinking, I want an aesthetic, and everything will be subservient to my vision of how this should aesthetically appear. No thought to usability at all. So teeny, tiny little slivers of chiclet buttons that are also black against the black case. So in order to actually see them, you need to direct a flashlight or a lamp right up on the front of this thing so that you can see where the moving part is. No label, doesn't say power, Insane. It doesn't even have any of those stupid icons on it. Finally figure out how to turn this thing on. I know. I, I can hear some of you right now. <laughs> You're so old. No, no, no. It's not that I'm old. My dears, 
I've had computers since I was less than 10 years old. Yeah, it was a Commodore 64, but I was raised with computers as well. I'm not afraid of digital technology. I've used it my entire life, almost my entire life. Things used to actually have intuitive controls on them. Now, I don't care if it's your coffee maker, your PC, your phone, whatever else it is, the buttons aren't even labeled. And in order to do functions, you have to look up and you have to do it online because you don't get a printed manual anymore, do you? You have to look up which way you have to position your fingers to hold down button A while you hold down button B for only 1.5 seconds and no longer, or you will get a different function. Why is this stuff designed? It, it's like it's designed to thwart you. Nothing's intuitive. All right, I've gone for almost a half hour here, and if I do any more old man stuff, you're going to think that that's all I'm ever going to do. So we're going to wrap up this edition of the audio-only podcast. I guess that's what we're going to call it. We're going to call it a podcast. We'll call the other one the TV show. At any rate, folks, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. See you soon. Abuse tactics like gaslighting, reversals, briar patching, and candy cottaging are just a few of the tools used by psychological abusers. Join the Disaffected Podcast for a conversation about how these dark and disordered abuse dynamics have escaped the home and now dominate our public discourse. Let's break the spell.